So good afternoon. This is a, a new HR Conversation podcast. I've got a, a rather eclectic bunch here. We're going to go do a little round table introduction. But first, the, the topic today is we're going to get going. It's about employee engagement, how, how to do it in this post-COVID-19 situation. No one's doing it well. Uh, some people think they are. Uh, some people know they're failing miserably. But we're, we're just going to have these experts here to go around and we're just going to have an unfiltered conversation. <laughs> you should have been here a couple minutes ago. But uh, we're, going to let, we're going to let Danielle uh, lead up, please. Danielle, just to do a quick intro on who you are, what you do, and what your passion for HR is. Sure. Well, I'm Danielle Leith. I'm a Senior Employee Benefits Advisor for Hub International, which is a top five uh, broker in the world. And what makes you passionate about HR? I am an Enneagram too. I'm a helper by nature. And it just so happens that really my job is to help people for a living. So I, I say all the time, I can't believe I get paid for what I do. It's just so exciting to be able to help people through challenges, help them engage with employees and really just solve problems. Are we supposed to do a personality test? Are we throwing that out there now too? Yeah, you should. yeah no, I, no, I, I hate those things that comes back, and I just don't, I don't like it. What was it, James? You were Mavericks, isn't that what came back last time? Hey, and I'm still learning that as well. Not you, rule breaker. All right, so uh, my name's Kyle McLean. Uh, I work for a company, Paylocity, global HRIS provider. Anything, it's a one-stop shop for anything payroll and HR related. And uh, as I was talking to Eric last week, the thing that sets me off the most is kind of just the unfairness of the HR and payroll roles within an organization. They're like the, the redheaded stepchildren. Even our own organization, uh, I talked to a CHRO of 3,000 employees. I'm like, hey, this is CEO. Ever walk into your office and drop something on your desk and go, we're not quite sure what to do with this, but you're HR. You can figure it out, right? <laughs> and she's like, were you here yesterday? <laughs> so my whole thing is just, trying to make sure everyone plays on a level playing field, right? The the system that I live in is kind of skewed, not in the HR and payroll favor. So I like just blowing the doors off it, which is kind of why I like this format because we can see a little bit over up to that edge. And sometimes if James here, it's usually way past it. So, so I'm gonna pass you on to Eric. Eric, can you do a brief intro, please? Yeah, thanks, Caleb. Uh, my name is Eric Tarigian. I'm the head of HR for Akibono Break Corporation. And, you know, one of my passions is helping people and just enabling people. And I think in organizations, we do a great job of identifying what we want people to do, but we never help them get it done. And we're not ever there for them and to serve them and to enable them. And you know, I feel the same way you do. If we can remove roadblocks and open up the doors for some people, it's incredible what they'll deliver. So I have a passion for this, and I'm really glad we got this put together. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Super. There's clearly a theme here. Uh, we all like to solve problems and help people uh, succeed and stay out of trouble. So I, I'm James Reed. I'm an attorney at Dinsmore and & Scholl, and I also serve in a volunteer role as the uh, 2021 director of Michigan SHRM. So I love HR. Everyone's near and dear to my heart and try to keep a pulse on what all the issues are so that I can. Sorry, James, I, I totally cut you off. Uh, you, We're all working from home now. So UPS came to the door and, and my two dogs just lost their mind. I'm so sorry. Uh, so you were just saying you're with, you're with Dinsmore. Sorry. Uh, no problem. So I'm with Dinsmore and Shoal. 
And like the rest of the group, I too like to solve problems. And I volunteer as the incoming director of Michigan SHRM. And uh, this allows me to keep a pulse on all the HR issues going on and basically equips me with being able to solve problems on the front end by anticipating what the hot issues will be uh, in the future. Fantastic. All right. So as I said, we were, we were going to talk about employee engagement, how to keep employees communicating and, and through just baby, not even, sometimes baby them through this, this trying time where we want everyone to get through it in one piece. So, so James, you were talking about the SHRM, right? Talking to all the directors there. What are you hearing right now? What's the biggest employee engagement or communication thing coming up right now? Well, I'm hearing a lot of things, but I think the biggest stressor is the unknowns. That's why it's so important to check in, at least when a CEO does know an answer or HR director does know an answer, we have to communicate because when people don't know, they assume the worst. Like right now, everyone's just assuming the world's going to end and school's never going to happen. They're going to be a full-time, you know, uh, daycare provider, teacher, HR director, they're already wearing enough hats being an HR director already. So to add all of these on, I think uh, the unknowns are an unnecessary stressor. Yeah, I think that James, you're, you're spot on to two things there. One is just helping people manage through the unknown. And I think it's just a critical thing of what we need to do always as change leaders. But the other one that you said that really means a lot to me is this keeping our hands on the pulse. And I think right now in this distributed workforce and with these remote workers everywhere, we've, we're losing the pulse. And I think people's initial reaction is we've got to bring everybody back. And I don't think that's necessarily the right reaction. I think that's using old models to solve these new problems. What we need to do is solve for how do we keep our hands on the pulse of our people, know what's on their minds, help them through the unknown. Yeah, but a lot of people shouldn't work from home. I mean, I, I get it. There's some people that can adjust and do really well, but there's some other people that I know that we're dealing with on our side that they need to go back to the office. Because, I mean, like you said, James, you were saying full-time caregiver, like a director of HR. You've got, you've got people in service positions that, I mean, <laughs> I had to stop the video because my dogs lost their mind for a second. You have people that this happens every day. I mean, so how much... Eric, how much is appropriate, right? Who should, how do you make that call? Who should come back and who should? Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the magic question right now. And we're, we're really struggling with it. And yes, it's cute. And in March and in April, it was really cute when everyone's four-year-old ran into the room on a video chat. But now we have to decide, is this something we can do moving forward? And honestly, I don't think that needs to be a yes or no answer. I think we need to determine what is the new employment relationship and what is the new relationship with our employees. And I think everything has to change. Everything? I think everything. I think it's, we, we've been given a blank piece of paper and we need to design the future. You know, a lot of people say, if you're a rock star, you'll be a rock star wherever you are. And if you're someone that is trying to just not be the worst and fit in, you're going to, do that wherever you are. And I think that, you know, a challenge with the remote work is how do you really measure who are the people that are not the bottom barrel performers and who are going above and beyond? Because I think so much of a job is not measurable by the dollars. You yeah. can't tell who's, you know, keeping that warm vibe of other people in the company, who is, you know, greeting those clients with an extra smile and helping them solve their issues. So I think that 
we need to revamp, I think, how we compensate an employee and value an employee beyond just the bottom line on a profit sheet. I was watching an interview today with a CEO of Airbnb who talked about how they had to pivot their entire business through all of this. And one thing that he said that stuck out to me is that basically companies who are in preservation mode are in a really dangerous spot right now because obviously from my perspective, the world has changed forever as we know it as a result of this. I think so many things will be and will continue to be impacted by everything going on. So um, to your point, Eric, I think it really is a, big, a blank slate and an opportunity um, to make a lot of change. I think those are going to be the most successful businesses at the end of the day through all of this. I'm all for change. That's, that's how I make my living, right? Getting people to change. But then again, too much is overwhelming and, and kind of a detrimental effect on an organization and the culture. Well, Eric, it, how are you keeping your culture going to Akibono? Because you've got to- I think respectfully, it's not too much change that causes the problem, but it's too much unknown without a support system. Let's go back to what James said or originally. This is about how do we support our employees as they go through this incredible unknown towards some new future. So I don't think it's the amount of change that's out there. It's the amount of unknown. Or I'm going to call it unsupported unknown. So it's the things where I'm just sitting out there with no flipping clue what's going on and no one's talking to me. No one's telling me anything. So you know what's going to happen? Me and Sally Joe down the street are going to make up our own solutions. And most likely they're not going to be the right ones. That's a good point. Not, not knowing. Cause I mean, I talked about the service department again, there's, there's people that normally have someone that they can go to that's right there. So when it's a question, they can talk to someone, but now everyone's remote. They need, they need more support, right? There's, the support staff need more support, right? Yeah. Because it's just on them. And if they don't know what they don't know, how are they going to get it done? So James, it looks like you want to. Well, yeah, my, my comment was in addition to the stressor of unknowns, I saw a great psychologist at U of M present on the cumulative effect of everything that's going on. So regardless, if you're a white male, uh, mm -hmm. you are still being distracted and having an effect from the Black Lives Matter, the LGBTQ, the COVID, the politics, the, all these outside energies are impacting who we are and we're bringing that into the workplace. And I said, if you're a white male, so if you are actually part of one of those protected classes, uh, you likely you're feeling even more and right. it could uh, create some distractions and additional stressors at work. So Danielle, from a from an employee, from a benefit provider standpoint, what is there out there that can be provided to help with this lessening of this of the stressors that James and Eric are talking about? It's a great question, and really, I, I think it's kind of like going to a doctor. You don't want to write a prescription for something until you really understand what's going on inside of your organization. So. As basic as it sounds, I always say you want to start with an employee survey to really get, as you said earlier, a pulse on exactly what's going on. And from that, I think that you could probably get your strongest group of, you know, engaged employees and kind of try and draw some parallels as to what's going on with these people that they feel engaged, what's giving them that level of comfort. And then you can create an action plan from there. Um, it kind of hits on some of those things. And, you know, I know I've seen a lot of companies um, doing things like, you know, crazy shirt day or happy hours. And I think those are really 
good for morale um, to the people who would always, you know, participate in those things in the office. But we can't forget just how deeply impactful this is. Like you said, James, it's a cumulative effect of all of this. And so meeting people on a, a human level, I think, is the most critical thing that we have to really consider. Um, I have talked to a few members of HR who are like, you know, I'm, I'm having conversations with my staff that I never have before because I'm so in fear that someone is going to do something harmful to themselves because of their stress. And oh. I want to know that I did everything possible to prevent that. So it's, it's how do we take that off of the plate of someone in the HRC? Because that is a huge, huge burden. Um, you know, EAP assistance is a very obvious answer. I'm seeing companies who still don't even have EAPs implemented. Um, so those are just some of the initial things that we take a look at and then can kind of deep dive a little bit deeper from there. Yeah, the other day when, Danielle, when you mentioned that in our pre-conversation, I am still just so blown away that there's still companies operating without that support system for their associates. And they're the same people who run around and talk about how important their employees are to them, but they're not doing some right. of the most basic things to take care of them. Yeah. I just talked to uh, one of my peers who's a general counsel for one of the big automakers. And she said, they're, they're going to take a page out of the unionizing playbook. And they're actually looking at the playbook that unions use when they're approaching a work group to unionize them or to, to drive a union vote. And they're using that now to build a employee engagement 2.0 model. And I thought it was really fascinating and just a really interesting approach. And I think it kind of goes to that whole concept of everything's, everything's open. Everything is okay to talk about. Everything needs to be looked at. I also think that right now people may enjoy remote work because they're with their spouse and family and, and pets. And if, you know, schools open up and their spouse goes back to work or their kids go to school, it could be lonely being all by yourself in a basement all day long year round. Uh, I think the cumulative effect of being alone hasn't fully been experienced yet. Yeah. Especially I think for the extroverts out there, they all need a hug. They're going right? crazy. We're all going crazy. I think HR in general are people that are used to interacting with people. So yeah. it could be challenging. Yeah. I think also the summer kind of offset that too, because you can, you can sit outside. Right. You can get some sunlight, vitamin D, you can get some fresh air. But at the start, when it was like March and April, and it was raining and still snowing because this is Michigan. Coming towards the fall, if we're still doing this, it's going it to get. I mean, in Scotland, there's like six hours of sunlight in the winter, if you're lucky. <laughs> so, no, and people are like, why are you guys so pasty and depressed? I'm like, because you don't ever don't see the sun for years. Right? So, I think. If we can get something put into place now, like the employee assistance program, I mean, stuff like that. I mean, even what you said, Daniel, people said, like, just be more human, like actually stop. Everyone just take a time out, step back and be like, let's just, instead of you, me coming on and saying, hey, are you doing your job appropriately? Let's just ask if they're okay. I think this has helped humanize a lot of, you think this will help the top C-suite talk more to the employees you think this will soften that gap a little bit yeah i do i think it opened up a conduit and i think a lot of these ceos and senior level executives have realized just how much at risk they are of getting out of touch and how fast it can un unspool yeah. you know i think calem to your point 
you know, fall, we're going to deal with another unknown now, a big one, which is going to be returned to school post pandemic or kind of second half pandemic. And you're going to have a lot of people, their stress levels are going to climb rapidly because school is different. You know, I look at my four-year-old and my five-year-old and, you know, their school experience changed so dramatically. And that is putting a big stress on families. And I, we can't just ignore that. But it's also an opportunity to see who your overachievers are that do things beyond their job description, such as uh, people may engage and share ideas with the C-suite more. This is HR's opportunity to show how they can be part of the C-suite and the executive board and helping make important decisions. And at the same time, you may realize who you don't need, who you aren't missing at all. Really? You weren't here. Yeah, we 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 talked about that. With a we've got a mobile app where people can actually reach out in a community feature within the organization, uh, corporate contact info only, right? So the the leadership did see some hourly employees actually conducting themselves in managerial roles, just checking in, taking it upon themselves to just make sure everyone was was okay. And they said those are the first guys we brought back. And we'll be looking at them and pushing them forward in like succession planning, just to make sure that when we do have something or something else comes up, we know who our, our go-to people are. So James, you're right. It, it did highlight specific people that just diamonds in the rough that you just weren't quite sure who or what they had and they totally stepped up to the plate. There has been, I know we talked doom and gloom, but there has been some great positives coming out of this as well. Yeah, absolutely. But every organization also has the, the guy or gal that, James is referring to who's been on furlough since you know March 25th and we just realized it and you know no one's missed them this whole time so you got to wonder like you know there's going to be some stuff that gets flushed out of the organization and this is a great opportunity where if you wanted to game the system the past six months there were many ways to do so and I think employers are trying to see which employees are acting in bad faith intentionally and you know don't have their heart in the right place and are trying to do the bare minimum or the free ride. And so invested in the short-term plan of making double dipping unemployment and getting some sick pay or something that yep. they're, they're not at all focused on being a team player and being a, someone you could develop in your organization. Unfortunately, could, I see a lot of it. If we see a CEO or a CFO watching this and think this is a really good idea, could you please call James first? Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, this is great. I can get rid of them. So you're right. So fair point. There is the executive order, at least in Michigan, that says you can't retaliate uh, with any type of COVID concerns or compromised immune system. And I wasn't at all implying that at all. It's just for those that are clearly, you know, to have a sniffle to go take a, a two week vacation in Traverse City paid, uh, that'll get discovered. Yeah. What was it? Um... A lot of the teachers, uh, you brought up a great point. So my wife showed me this yesterday. Uh, there's a lot of teachers that are saying, oh, I don't feel safe going back to school. But then the parents are finding them with their social media accounts going, yeah, because you're too busy partying in the Lake of the Ozarks last weekend. <laughs> exactly. Or like the teacher that won't go back to school, but you can find the picture of them going into the nail salon. So, you know, you felt safe in there. You know, you should that, feel that's safe. That's right. So, you know, we have to be careful. I've seen some crazy scenarios where maybe they have a doctor's note saying that that'll help with their depression related to all this by getting their nails done or going to Las Vegas or 
going well, on. I had it. <laughs> you, you have to be careful. Like, but I had a guy who had a, I had a guy James had a five pound weight restriction at work. He couldn't, you know. So that was we had to work with him. We had to create a job. All this. He was a competitive weightlifter. So they videotaped him. They did all that stuff, which I hate. But they did all this. And they went and they took it to the Michigan Tribunal, and his doctor came in and said those are therapeutic maneuvers done with a prescribed guideline and certain formats and they're safe. So he's okay to exceed his weight restriction on his, you know, so the guy can deadlift 300 pounds, but he can't move a six pound piece of equipment. Well, I'm, I'm moving an extra 15 pounds since this whole thing started. You can't just, in your own opinion, dispute a doctor's note without getting clarification, you'll get burned as an organization. Exactly. And my experience has been if you try to, you know, call these doctors out and show them where they're being fooled, you're just going to galvanize them. And they, they don't want to be shown they were wrong and they don't want to be shown they were fooled. And maybe, you know, kind of outside of that, they will, they'll, they'll talk tough to the employee, but they're not going to just buckle and say, oh, yes, you're right. I wrote this without knowing. So Daniel, how have Hub been taking care of you since uh, since this has all started? You must have had some internal corporate communication, right, to make you feel warm and loved, and you're in the right home. So can you share some of that? Sure. So my journey has been interesting because my first day at Hub was actually the very first day of lockdown. So I am a, <laughs> a, a COVID baby at, at Hub. Um, Wait a minute. Hang on. Hang on. Wait. No. Wait. 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 Your first day. <laughs> so you're, you're you didn't even get to schmooze with the new boss or get some like partners in crime. Like there's no bonding. You went straight into lockdown. Went straight into lockdown. Fortunately, thanks to technology, lots of schmoozing nevertheless, but they did a fabulous job. Um, onboarding in a virtual world was interesting, but it felt as if it were something that they had done all along. Um, and yeah, the constant communication, the touch points, and that's kind of what I've been drawing off of as I'm talking to HR was the experience that I've had in this new role. And um, I have someone reaching out to me multiple times per week saying, how are you doing? Truly. And I think that that can make that such a huge difference in the life wow. of a person, albeit professionally or personally, those simple words, how are you doing today? Is there anything else I can help arm you to make you successful? Um, because as we said earlier, I think that through this, there are businesses who will become obsolete. There's businesses who will thrive. And then there are businesses who are actually going to come out on top in ways that they wouldn't have otherwise. Um, so just the level of support and constant um, communication with us. There are the crazy head days and all that, but it's really the, the human element, the, the level of connection, the constant communication. Um, that's been really a huge advantage from my perspective. Yep, the same thing. Our CEO every other week has a, a company-wide meeting. You can log in. We send out the invitation to the entire company and you can see him just go over company performance, how are we doing? We actually hired people during the during this because with more service calls, so we hired more service people. So just letting everyone know exactly what's going on. It looks like the world's on fire, but we're gonna be okay. Or, or even if the world is on fire, at least let everyone have a clear understanding of a, of a path forward so that they're not like, when's the hammer gonna drop, right? They're even stressed about that. It's sometimes it's, in 2008, I was let go from a, from a hotel company and uh, it would have been really nice to have some notice. <laughs> it was just like, 
what, 15 years and you give me like a week. Thanks, guys. That, that kind of sucks. If you let me know like two months prior, I could have set myself up and made sure it was, it was appropriate. And I have been having conversations with other companies that we work with that are doing that to their internal employees. And I don't think we would have seen that in 2008. I mean, James, you talked about lessons learned from, from the last time. I think people actually may have learned something. What are you seeing? So, yeah, an interesting statistic I heard, didn't verify, but I, I've heard multiple times, is more billionaires came out of the Great Depression than any other time. Wow. And uh, in 2008, I think a lot of people created their practices. That's really when companies realized we need training. We need to have consultations. We need to get advice. Uh, so, for example, I think the economy was so good up until 2008. People were just making profit, you know, fist over fist. And all these managers that we're talking about now didn't really receive any training. And now they're supposed to, now when the company's not as profitable, they're supposed to talk positives and mentor their subordinates. But I'm seeing the managers, the biggest culprit of, speaking negative things about other executives and leadership. They're trying to be popular amongst their subordinates, like a popularity contest, as opposed to really wearing the management hat. Most job descriptions don't even teach them how to be a manager or manage people. That's just the title they get for serving a certain amount of years at the company. And I think that's a massive problem that is just starting to get fixed at companies that were progressive. Oh, Eric's got something. I just keep saying, I, I'm just laughing because I know my I, my wife always laughs whenever I say this, but there's an old saying, and I think it was uh, Buffett who said it, when the tide goes out, you can tell who was skinny dipping, right? So the tide has gone out. So you can tell what organizations were prepared. You can tell what organizations have done training. You can tell, you know, who was cheating and who was cutting corners. I mean, so everything right now and all those little corners that people were cutting, they're all exposed. Mm -hmm. This is I guess my the hope. question is, is, is empathy a behavior that can be learned, number one, and is it too late to train those individuals? Oh, well, I, that's a great question. You know, I, I have taken the strength finders test that has the 37 character traits or whatever, and uh, empathy was not in my top five. Um, it, it was competition, focus, uh, achiever. I forget what the other two were right now, but essentially... I think as long as you're utilizing your strengths, you can accomplish, I think, the right outcome with a different perspective. Everyone doesn't have to be empathetic necessarily to be a good manager. Um, it, it helps a lot in times of crisis. That's why a lot of estate planning attorneys are have empathy as one of their top five strengths. But uh, so I, I think to answer your question is uh, you can make yourself more aware of how you're acting and coming across but you're not necessarily going to turn empathy into someone's top five character strengths solely based on training, but you might be able to teach them how to find somebody else that does have empathy as a strength and empower them to communicate that message for you. So where did that training go? Because normally when there's a recession, the first thing that gets cut is <laughs> money to HR. <laughs> so all that, all that soft, touchy-feely stuff. On. So have we completely slacked off and kind of shot ourselves in the foot kind of thing? Well, I think that 
you know, ROI and not all CFOs work closely enough with HR to really understand that there you go. Just because you take 10 grand off the training budget doesn't mean you save the bottom line of the company 10 grand. It could create more lawsuits over here. Oh no. Oh, <laughs> over here. And uh, it's really hard for a CFO to track the ROI without having a deep understanding of what HR knows and sees. So that's yeah, and why. What if you don't spend the 10 grand and all those people stay? That's an even even bigger problem, right? You're right. people that are getting, <laughs> probably engage in more sexual harassment and not yeah. the issues or say inappropriate things during an interview. And when the economy's bad, is when employees say, "I remember that inappropriate thing my boss said a year ago." Now, if they lay me off, I'm going to bring that up again. And there's a lot of skeletons in the closet because a lot of people are doing emojis. These text messages are so new. Who has a policy on text messaging? I'm I'm almost yet to see one at a company and I see the salivating tongue and a wink from all of, <laughs> all of these employees. And what, what do they mean? Is that going to be a claim someday if, if, if one of the people is a boss that sends that message? Didn't we just hear about someone's interview style recently? We will, we will not mention this person's name, but didn't we? <laughs> or just that. And they were talking about their boss and some of the interview questions were like, you're kidding, right? People I still ask that? I think a lot of the times the higher level people don't get trained by subordinates. They don't even attend the trainings that they're willing to pay for for their organization. So I, I really think this is the time for leadership to start at the top and lead by example. God, but and I think is... about back at uh, Frito-Lay, it was in the 2008 timeframe when I was leading DNI for the region and we would bring people in and we would have these discussions and we would say, okay, now, Everyone leaves these meetings, they're all fired up and they all want to go and make a difference. We say, go back to your region and do two DNI events. Yes, yes, this is great. And they get back and they sit down at their desk and they have no idea what that means. So it floats to the back of the desk and all their work just kind of floats in around it. So I came up with a prescriptive set of steps and I said, okay, you go back to your office, you identify one person who will be your point. You get one person who's going to do this. And just gave them very, very prescriptive steps to take. One, two, three, four, five. And what we found is most managers would just do it by rote and they never get off the sheet music, but they're doing the outcome. Now, a lot of managers will take that, they'll get the vibe of it and they'll get off the music and they'll improvise and they'll be able to take it to the next level. But you've taken your baseline and you've given them very prescriptive, detailed steps to say, this is how you're successful. I think we need to take that approach with managers and we need to start teaching people how to manage and how to lead people. And what does it mean to engage people? You know, what does it mean to be more humane? What does it mean to be empathetic? You know, don't try to be me or don't try to be Danielle. Don't try to be James. Go be yourself. Unless you're a jerk, then be someone else. <laughs> that's, that was what I was saying. Find your strengths <laughs> and make the most of them. But uh, effective communication is training that everyone needs now more than ever. And I mean a, a few different layers. One, if you're communicating all by email now that you're remote and not in person, uh, I, for a fact, have experienced, especially someone, not to stigmatize, but someone over 60, it's almost disrespectful to communicate only by email and mm -hmm. not have a face-to-face -face conversation. And uh, when someone, if it takes more than one email to solve an issue, they're interpreting your email as a, a CYA, and maybe you're fighting or arguing or yelling at them and they're misinterpreting the tone and intent. The way they're reading your message is not necessarily the tone and intent 
you're portraying your message. That's a huge issue. And then I think mm -hmm. the biggest issue is that I see too many employees communicate with legal talk. For some reason, these employees use words like discrimination, harassment, bullying, retaliation. I can go on and on mm -hmm. and on. That tells everybody nothing other than you're trying to bring a claim against them. Exactly. It doesn't tell you what the issue is and how to solve it and what the facts are to even evaluate it. And you could be doing an admission on behalf of the company of an illegal act and expose your company to, to liability. So I think effective communication, especially now, isn't just the CEO skill set, it's an everyone skill set. I would love them to be able to tell people, especially managers, that <laughs> it's okay to mess up because you're gonna, especially for first time managers been there, wow, I was awful. So for, they have to understand that their work is going to, it has to be a safe space, right? It has to be. Is there some way, James, that they can have a, everyone in the company can agree to a code of conduct that says, if something happens or someone says something to you before you lawyer up, can we please go through these steps so that conversations aren't being had because people are just scared of saying the wrong thing. I know a lot of smart people that are just like, I, I, I didn't know what to do. I'm like, why didn't you just talk to them? He said, uh, they, get, they get stuck. Yeah, you're, you raise a couple of good points. So one is, is there a safe environment to communicate the issue? And there are ways to do that. You can have through various software or other things, a 360 or an anonymous way to identify facts and issues. There are, there are ways to do that. But beyond that, you can have a general understanding where you're not gonna spread rumors and gossip about some employee across the company. You're gonna start, in, before you even go to their manager and all the executives with an issue, you'll try to resolve it head on. You know, if someone doesn't like the way their boss is talking and we're looking at them, I, I hope for step one, they try to maybe talk to their boss or their mentor, not escalate it to a lawyer in a lawsuit or the CEO as step one. I think that's not going to solve the problem. But I, I think though that from my experience, every employee seems to have some, what I call a work spouse or a confidant or some work <laughs> friend that they're willing to share some viewpoints with because that's the only person that can relate to them and understand what they're saying for the most part. And the problem is with that person that receives the information often does nothing with that information. They feel like they helped by being a sympathetic ear and then the employee goes back to their thing and because the problem wasn't solved, it's just the smoke eventually gets a bigger flame, a bigger flame, and then bad things in the company happen. People quit or are fired or bring claims. And I think that if we train how to communicate that issue and not let someone just keep it to themselves and at least share it with HR or somebody, we can put out a lot of fires when there's smoke instead of the, the full blaze. I think you also made a good point about social media and texting and some of these policies. I think on our future HR conversation, we need to do a whole piece on just social media, the impact at work and, and how to manage it from a HR perspective. Cancel. There's a whole discussion there. Yeah, cancel culture at work. Is there such a thing, Danielle? Is there? I, I bet there is. Hopefully not at mine. <laughs> it doesn't go. No, it's a challenge. Like, you know, if you, even if you see uh, one of us, if we're having a bunch of beers saying, man, one, one hell of a day, well, now our employees might think we're burnt out, stressed out, misinterpret it, exactly. think that we're mad at them when maybe it has nothing to do with them and we just want to, you know, relax. 
Okay. All right. So we're we're coming up just over like thirty five minutes here. We're, we're, we should close this one out. And Eric, when we were talking about how we were going to finish this, you were saying you want to just do a quick highlight, right? Just pick one of us just to do a quick. This is what I got. This is where the most or the highlight I got out of this conversation today. We'll just do a quick round table. Then we'll we'll table it and get it out there, and we'll, we'll do this again next week. So, who wants to lead off and give us their highlight? If you don't mind, I'll jump in. So, my Please. highlights are what I'm taking from all of this is we've got to come up with support systems. So, the change is happening. We have unknown. We've got to help people get through the unknown and to the new norm, whatever that happens to be. And I think there's a lot of criticality around these support systems and making them humane and taking some of the flatness of the electronics and technology out of there. Awesome. Ms. Leaf? I think, again, just true outreach, genuinely caring about your employees, connecting with them on a personal level. Um, and also, as James had mentioned earlier, having just a general sensitivity, even if empathy isn't a top five trait for you, being aware of what you're seeing and how it's impacting the people around you. James? I think essentially making your unconscious more conscious and learning how to more effectively communicate, not only at the top, but also training your employees effectively communicate at all levels. And as you said, to have that safety comfort zone where they can be comfortable sharing uh, their concerns and their thoughts. Because from my experience, almost 90% of conflict is what I call healthy conflict. And, you know, as Steve Jobs would say, you know, you don't hire people to tell them what to do. You want to hire people to, you know, tell you what to do and tell you how to make things better. So I really think that we should not solely view conflict as negative, but use these times, especially during a, a new pandemic to make our organization stronger. Yeah, for me, it was just one of those moments where you, you see that the executive suite and the HR and the line level employee, that space is coming together. There's a lot more conversations, but I would like to also bring up I think Eric, you brought up the the money for for training. We need to we need to arm the HR departments. Either we got to staff them up or, or train them to build a more productive, engaged workforce. Because they keep saying an engaged workforce is significantly more productive. People the turnover is less. They're happier at work. They do better work. So, like James saying, ten saving ten thousand dollars to a CFO by cutting out training. But how much more could you get on an ROI? But it's it's an intangible. But I think those intangibles have really come to life with everything that's happened with the, with COVID and with the, the movements that are, that are happening right now in, in Detroit and around the country. So there's tons more conversations to be had. I want to keep this one going, but we got to cut it off just because of time and no one wants to listen to us all day. But uh, I don't know, man, this has been great. I'll get this thing posted on LinkedIn. I'll, I'll get this Thank sent you. out on YouTube. Are you kidding me? Thanks, guys, for coming out today. We'll and any comments or questions shared on LinkedIn, we'll be sure to address during our next one. Absolutely. For sure. Thanks, everybody. Right. Thank you. Thanks, all. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.